You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio. The season is just underway, and we're pleased to have her join us today, former Reds left-hander and current Reds broadcaster, Chris Welsh. Chris, great to have you back with us on the podcast. Well, Bill, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad I earned enough kudos with you to, to be able to get back here one time. <laughs> Chris, the, the excitement for the Reds is, I, I, can't ever, I can't remember since the 70s of being any higher than it is right now. Uh, compare this team offensively, defensively, and pitching compared to last year coming out of spring training. Oh, thank goodness. I thought when you brought the 70s, I thought you were going to ask me to compare this team to the big red machine. <laughs> no, I'm not going to quite go that far. Okay. Well, compared to last year, I mean, you've almost got the same team with the exception of a couple of different parts. Uh, you know, just go back to what happened in spring training. There were not all that many spaces open. Uh, they made some changes in the pitching staff, obviously. They traded away some prospects so that minor leagues at the very top might be a little bit different than they were last year. But I think the core of the team is about the same. You still have, you know, Bottom and Phillips and Bruce, you know, handing it behind the plate. You're missing, of course, Ramon Hernandez, but you have Roland, rolling back healthy, uh, and a new shortstop. So I think, and, and Bruce Stubbs. So, you know, seven of the eight pieces really are there, or at least six of the eight pieces are there like they were last year. Uh, you hope, you know, as you look to the 2012 team, that they're young guys who had an extra year in the major leagues, and they've taken some lumps since they ran high in 2010, have learned a little bit. They learned that when you get knocked down, how to get back up. Uh, they've learned a little bit about the league, how to be big leaguers, how to be winners in the major leagues. And I think that's what everybody is so excited about this year. Coming out of spring training, Chris, the, the rotation was probably the biggest point of discussion, and, and we're talking a day after... Homer had a pretty rough outing against the Cardinals, and he wasn't especially effective in spring training. How much rope do you think Dusty and Walter are going to give Homer? Well, you know, look at the alternatives. What else do you have, to be honest with you? I mean, you do have Jeff Francis in the minor leagues, but remember some of those guys that filled in last year, like Matt Maloney uh, is gone, uh, Jared Burton out of bullpen is gone, uh, they do have Chad Reineke. But this isn't a system anymore that is busting with fishing prospects at the very top of the deep food chain. Uh, and that, that's a disturbing thing. So you've got to give uh, Homer Bailey a little bit of leeway because if you don't and you put him down the minor leagues being out of options, you can't put him down and bring him back up without it. Or actually, you can't put him down there without exposing him to waivers. And right. you know, there's a chance that somebody will get him and you'll get nothing for him. Um, so, and then it still leaves you with. You know, Jeff Francis, non-roster player, as you know, the five-star, but if he gets injured or if he gets up, comes up here and doesn't pitch well, uh, that really puts you into a bind. Now you're out trying to make a deal um, from a position of weakness for, a, for another major league pitcher, and that's not an easy thing to do. You don't, you don't see a role as Chapman as a, as a possible replacement for Bailey in the rotation? Oh, long-term, absolutely. But remember what they did with Mike Leake as far as trying to control the number of innings that he pitched his first two years up here. They shut him down, what, 151 year, last year was 175 his innings. And, uh, you know, if you put a roll of Chapman in the rotation too soon, say before June, and he hits his innings mark, whatever that may be, maybe they determine that to be 160, maybe it's 170. But if, whatever he does, he hits that. And now you're in the heat of a pennant race, and you have to shut him down. I mean, what, what terrific temptation that would be for Dusty Baker to say, hey, you know, 
you know, forget that pitch count. We're, we're, we got to win this thing. You know, and then in the meantime, the Reds are saying, well, well, hold on here. We got a lot of money invested in the show, man. We can't pitch him until he blows his arm up. And now back in the old days, it wouldn't make any difference. But now you have, you know, evidence and testimony from medical people to say that this is the way you need to do it. You bring these guys along very slowly, and you can't all of a sudden run them out there and have them pitch 200 innings. The temptation would be too huge. But I think that's why he's in the bullpen right now. All winter, we heard Walt Jockety talk about Chapman being a starter. Dusty kept going back and talking about the bullpen. Are they on the same page? Yeah, I think they are. And I think what happened was that when a roller Chapman couldn't pitch a winter ball last year because of his shoulder, uh, they wanted to shut him down and make sure that he didn't have anything hang over uh, from his injury in the fall, you know, however minor it may be. They wanted him to come into spring training healthy and having no pain at all. And I think what happens is you got you know you got a, a manager with the last year in his contract. He looks around and says, "How can I make my team the strongest right now, like today?" And that would be with Chapman in the bullpen. Uh, now, uh, in, in, in the long term future of the Reds, I think Chapman figures to be a starter. I think that he'll throw more strikes as a starter because you get more regular work, meaning that you you pitch one day. You take the day off, you fill in the bullpen, you fill it up a little bit, and then, you know, you kind of get back ready for your fifth day again. And I think any young pitcher that um, has the kind of promise that Chapman does, they really get the experience out of pitching in the bullpen and working with Brian Price, where if you're in the bullpen like they did with Chapman, I mean, when he really started going bad, uh, he went a long time between, between outings, and all of a sudden the mechanics get out of sync, and he can't find himself. And I think that that... It's something that they've got to make sure it doesn't happen when he's in the bullpen right now. Do you you think the Reds have made some missteps on developing this kid at this point? No, I really don't think so. I don't think there's any grand game plan as to how to take a young man like this and develop him. I mean, look what they used to do with starting pitchers coming out through the minor leagues. You take your best starting pitcher, and there are exceptions to this, but the best starting pitcher coming out by the minor leagues gets to the major leagues, and he's a, a long man. And he pitches, you know, as a swing man, they usually go with four starters, and then you have, you know, no off days, and then you put your fifth guy in there, and then he pitches a star or two because of the way the off days are lined up or a rain out, and then he pitches long relief and so on. Well, you know, they didn't do that with him, and I don't think there's a lot of teams that do that anymore. They, they groom these guys as stars, and they bring them up that way. The argument could be that, well, he should have been in Louisville all year long last year and been a starter. And that way, this year, he would have been ready to start right from the get-go and go all the way to the end. Well, he was throwing the ball so well down there, and the Reds need a bullpen help. And, you know, uh, you know, the cry for the need right now was answered. And uh, I don't think they really set that back. It's just that they have to decide how they're going to use him long-term. But I think right now it's the best thing for, for, for both ends, from protecting his arm and giving the Reds some value out of him. Him in the bullpen until about June is probably what you're going to see. So you don't have you don't have any doubt that he'll start games for the Reds this season. I I think he will. At some point this season, he will start for the Reds. Now, and the only the only thing that could happen is that he's so good out of the bullpen at the back end of the bullpen that they decide to give him the mic in. I don't see that happening. But you know, when you've got electric stuff like a Rollins Chapman, I mean, there are no precedents. Uh, and you're not really sure, you know, you're, you're on, you're, you're mapping your own thing right here. Mm-hmm. So you're really not sure which way to go. But that's one thing. And I do think that there are probably some discussions internally, uh, whether it's between Walt or Dusty, or whether it's between Walt, Dusty, and 
Brian Price or Bob Gasly is involved, whoever, I'm sure that not everybody is exactly on the same page as to how to develop this guy because there are no precedents out there. Everybody has his own opinion, but I think that they're taking probably the, the most conservative course they have right now and at the same time making the team better. Let's talk a little bit more about the rotation, Chris. Does Mike Leake get the respect he deserves for the job he's done in the first two years in the big leagues? I don't think so. I think he's the, he's the, uh, the ultimate under-the-radar guy. That, you know, uh, everybody talked about, you know, Arroyo and Cueto and, and Latos and so on. No one talked about Mike Leake all spring long. And he just goes out there and he pitches. He pitches his six innings. He gives up, you know, five or six or seven or eight hits. He doesn't strike out a bunch, but... Next thing you know, he's in the sixth or seventh day, and you're winning the ball game. I mean, for half the season last year, he was the best starter on this team, and I don't think a lot of people really recognize that. I hope that they just throw him out there and leave him alone. He's got a great feel for pitching. I think the kid's going to win a lot of games here as a red. Bronson Arroyo came off a, a horrendous, pretty horrendous year last year, and and didn't look real well. He looked okay for six innings the other night, and then in the seventh, the wheels fell off. Is he a six-inning guy now? I think so. I think he joins the majority of other major league pitchers that way. Do you do you think his roster or his rotation spot would be in trouble without the contract? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, well, why speculate on something that, 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 that all you do is burn up brain cells trying to think about? Yeah, it doesn't uh, matter is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it really doesn't make any difference. I mean, it is what he is. He has a contract. And, and, but again, you know, who do you have right now ready to step in uh, that can take his spot. Now, if Daniel Corsino, uh, you know, fast forward two years and now Corsino's pitch a year in, in AAA and he still progresses the way he, that people anticipate, then heck yeah. Uh, you maybe want to bring somebody like that up. But right now, there's nobody knocking on the door, again, other than Jeff Francis, uh, until someone distinguishes themselves in minor leagues and shows to be majorly great. Real quick on the, finishing up the rotation, tell us tell us what you learned about Matt Latos in spring training, and, and do you think Johnny Cueto's can duplicate last season? I think Johnny Cueto can duplicate last season. In fact, Cueto is is driven to be the best pitcher he possibly can be. Uh, I really believe that. The kid has not changed uh, just because he's in the big leagues. He doesn't dog it. He works hard. I think he's misunderstood. I actually was able to go down and spend a couple days with Cueto in the Dominican this winter. And uh, he's uh, uh, he's an advertised man. He, he's just a guy that's a quiet guy that uh, wants to be really, really, really good, and he's going to work at it. And I think he gets it. Uh, what I really like about uh, Cueto as a pitcher is the fact that he saves something for when the time that he's in trouble. It seems like he's got the ability to add a little bit to his fastball when he needs it. He's not one of these, you know, balls to the wall kind of guys right from the get-go. Uh, so I think that's a good thing that he's learned over the years. Uh, what I've learned about Latos is that this guy's got incredible stuff. He knows what he throws. Uh, I did a couple of these tech talks with him in the spring. He understands what he's trying to do out there. Uh, I think he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. Um, and uh, I think there'll be games in which he will just dominate so much that it will look like a mismatch. But on the other hand, you know, he's got to be able to control his emotions, what's going on inside his head. He's always been kind of a high-energy, high-tension kind of guy. Uh, he's had a history of, you know, uh, uh, being immature, uh, you know, going all the way back to high school. And hopefully, you know, now that he realizes that he's on a pretty good team, he doesn't have to carry this ball club. He just has to pitch well. I think that will help him. 
Yeah, he struggled a little bit Saturday night. Was he, you think he was just too amped up? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, he can show unhittable breaking balls early. When he got runners on, he tried to bury everything, you know, at 110%, and that doesn't work as a pitcher. I mean, sometimes it's just better when you back off than when you add on. Let's go into the bullpen, Chris. The the, the loss of Ryan Madsen in, 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 the, in spring training was a big loss for the team, but how big really was it? Big, very big. Really big. I mean, uh, was and, it more? And, and, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like when people try to down, downplay it. Uh, of course, that's what, that's what you spin because if you're the organization, because you got to say, hey, you know, well, we still have a real good team right now. We do have a guy at the very end here, Sean Marshall, that can close games. But, you know, you're so much better if you have Madsen at the end, who's, what, who's had 32 saves last year. He doesn't give up home runs. He doesn't walk people as opposed to having a guy that has had, what, five saves last year. So, I mean, on paper, uh, you're, you're, you're much worse off. Not to say you can't recover. The Cardinals had eight or nine different pitchers for saves last year. I mean, it was a rotation for them. But uh, you always like to have one guy, and you, I would prefer it had been Madsen. I'm not saying John Marshall can't do it, but I think it's a big loss. Don't, do you believe that, that uh, the plan was for Marshall to close in next year anyway? Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I, I, if you look at the, uh, uh, the cost per save, you know, from what Francisco Cordero gave you last right. year to what Matson would have given you this year to what Sean Marshall and his multi-year game give you next year, I mean, I think plummets like uh, a bad stock day. Yeah. So it, it uh, yeah, I think that that's one thing that they like a lot about Marshall is that you know now. If he couldn't do it, if he shows this year that he, you know, he blows up, then they have to go to plan B. But, but I think that uh, that's the plan. It's just got here a year early. It's funny because when, when Madsen went down, a lot of our guys were talking about, wow, that's $8.5 that we can't, you know, that's already spent. Well, that $8.5 million don't seem much these last few days. Um, it doesn't go away. It doesn't go as far as it used to, I guess. Uh, yeah. But, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um I want to talk about Jay Bruce, Chris. I, I I would never say that, and I'm a big Jay Bruce fan, I'd never say that a 25-year-old kid going into his fifth big league season with pretty good career numbers has been a disappointment. But he did seem like he took a step back last year. Do you think this is the year that Jay Bruce gets it? I do. I, I, think, that, I think the contract worked against him last year. I think that he and Joey both, both signed contracts and that uh, he tried to earn his contract, what is it, five years that he's got, uh, all in one year. And I think that he felt like he needed to prove to everybody that he was a $55 million player uh, instead of just being Jay Bruce. And I think now that, you know, there's more money out there on the table for him to get down the road that he's, he's relaxed more. I mean, the whole thing about Jay Bruce, you can't deny his talent. I mean, or else he wouldn't have been a number one draft pick. You watch him take batting practice. The guy has tremendous power. He's got great hands, good hand-eye coordination, all the things that make a good hitter. The thing that separates him from being a top-of-the-line hitter is his ability to slow the game down and let it come to him. And that's what doesn't happen when you're 23 or 24 years old. And if you don't get hurt and you keep the same skill set and then you begin to add the ability to mentally slow the game down, then you get it. And I think that now is the time he's beginning to get it. When you talk about slowing the game down, Chris, are you talking about like selectivity at the plate and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, it, it's like what Joey Votto does. I mean, he clears his head. I mean, Joey Votto does it visibly. 
you can watch him as he stands in the batter's box. He taps the plate. He looks up there in the left field bleachers, and he just look trying to clear his mind because that's what I mean. Uh, that's what golf psychologists will tell you. Baseball sports psychologists tell you the same thing. You know, if you think about the what if. What if I get into a double play? What if I strike out? What if I chase a bad slider right here? You're setting yourself up for failure. Now, what they want to do is to think about what, which is hit, see the ball, hit the ball, you know. And the whole thing for Jay Bruce and every other player is to clear your mind and try to do that. Clear the mechanism, as Costner said in that one baseball movie. I... Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, that's right on it. Yeah. Chris, tell us about the two kids that in the, in the starting lineup, the Cozart and Mezzarocco. Both have been gotten at least some mention as possible rookies of the year. What, what did you see about – tell us what you've seen on these guys. Well, Cozart certainly you know, is off to a good start. I like him a lot. Uh, he's a fast-twitch muscle guy. He doesn't look like um, he's a guy based on his build that he you know is going to be a potential superstar. But, you know – those guys don't always come in big packages. I mean, he reminds me of Craig Vigio a little bit um, in the way that he um, uh, can move the ball. Uh, I know that Kirk uh, Jacoby uh, really likes the way he, he uses the entire field. Uh, he stays inside the ball, even on inside pitches. If you look at the home run that he hit on opening day, that ball didn't hook. You know, when you see guys that stand up to the plate, they pull the ball down the lines, and then they, they hit the ball constantly hooks. Adam Dunn's a great example of that. Um, you know, he would just get around the pitches a lot. Now, they're two different kinds of hitters, but he stays inside the ball. And that's what the modern-day hitter, meaning, you know, from the, from the mid-'90s on or from the year 2000 on, is all trying to keep their hands inside the ball, lead with their hands, trail with the barrel. And I think that uh, he still has enough strength to hit it out of this ballpark. And he's got some great pop. Uh, I like his defense. Um, he can go to his right. He's got a strong arm. Uh, I think that he can cover a lot of ground out there. And I think he's a, he's a solid player. <clears throat> I've not seen as much of Mesoraco as I've seen of Cozart. And I think that if I was going to rate those guys, I would say that Cozart's just a step ahead right now of Mesoraco. Mesoraco's got tremendous tools. Again, I did some tech talks with him. And he's got a really good idea of what to do behind the plate. Uh, he had, he, he's been coached. Uh, terrifically, uh, he's like a sponge. He was one guy, I heard a story about Nesoraco that I thought was pretty interesting. He was down in Sarasota in the Gulf Coast League. <laughs> but he uh, would play those games in the afternoon. That's when they played the games in the Gulf Coast League. Mm-hmm. And then they had at night before city games. And he would hang around all day at the ballpark and sit in the stands and watch the four city games. While everybody else, all of his teammates are out, you know, sleeping, uh, partying, playing video games, doing whatever they do. And uh, uh, I, I think that kind of thing, he's always been a student of the game. He's always made baseball number one, and he's got a lot of talent. And I think if you have a combination of that, you're going to be successful. I think that he's he's got a little ways to go. Uh, and from a hitting standpoint, he's got to play a little bit to get his confidence up. But I think he's going to get enough playing time. You're going to like him in the long run. Yeah, and I think he benefited from the coaching in the minor leagues. He played for Donnie Scott at at, at Dayton. He played for Joe Aralt in in Sarasota. And I think there was another catcher that he played for somewhere along the line. Rick Sweet. Yeah, Rick Sweet. That that has to help you as a catcher to play for guys that that, that have been there and done that. Well, I really think, I know the guys you spoke to, uh, you know, but 
Uh, Rich Sweet is the guy at the very top of that chain that, that really, I mean, I would watch him in spring training, and he is on those guys. Even when they're catching a bullpen session, if they're not catching the ball right, he's on them. Hey, get your elbow up. Get it outside your shin guards, whatever it may be. You know, get your thumb down, whatever. And, uh, I mean, I think that that kind of thing has helped a guy like Mesoraco. And they're so high in Mesoraco that they traded away a pretty doggone good pitching prospect in Yasmani Grandal. So, um, I think that the, 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 Consensus is among all the decision makers here with the Reds that they trade away the right guy and they kept the right guy. Chris, what's the biggest strength and we- the biggest strength and the biggest weakness on this team? Well, I think the strength is was the bullpen. I still think it's pitching, uh, and I also think it's the fact that uh, you have a couple of pretty good hitters right in the center of the lineup. Um, especially Votto. I mean, you have a legitimate superstar that every year he's going to be on the short list of the top five in the league who are going to win the MVP. That's the strength of the ball club. Uh, and I also like the top couple guys in the pitching rotation. Uh, and I think that's it. The weakness is the depth. Um, if you lose Scott Rowland, we're going to be looking at uh, Miguel Cairo all year long. Uh, can Todd Frazier even come up here and, 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 and play anywhere like Roland? I mean, Todd Frazier's a nice young player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from Todd. But, you know, Scott Roland is a very special kind of player. Or else you're going to play as long as he did, collect as many gold gloves, go to as many all-star games, play as many winners, and so on and so forth. So those are kind of guys that are very tough to, to replace. And... There's nobody on the fence. The other thing that strikes me as a weakness on this ball club is that they are often right-handed. The only lefty off the bench ahead is Willie Harris. That means you got two left-handers in in the um, uh, in the starting lineup, and if those guys don't hit, this team's not going to you know this team can fall prey to a right-handed pitcher like they did last night with Jake Westbrook. Um, and I think that those lefties have to hit. Jay Bruce has to have a good year this year, or else you're going to pitch around Votto, and then just went through all the right-handers. And uh, there are some teams in the past that I remember pitching against that were quite a bit like that. And uh, once you once you figure out how to pitch one right-hander, you can get them all. And I think that they, they still, throughout the season, will probably be looking for somebody who can swing back from the left side. You talk about Scott Rowland and, and him being healthy. It's a huge thing for the Reds. Mm-hmm. It, it, do you think Scott's still a number four hitter? Well, <clears throat> <laughs> Not on every team, but he's on this team. Uh, again, a lot of times, you know, people want to say, well, we need to have our prototypical leadoff guy. Well, who in that lineup is a better number four hitter? I mean, maybe Jay Bruce, but, you know, most managers don't like to go lefty lefty if they're the only two in your lineup back to back. That Bobby Cox didn't care. He would do that no matter what. But, but a lot of other managers like to split them up so that you don't become easy play at the end, end of the game for some kind of left-handed specialist that comes in there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's him or who? Heidi? Him or who? Ludwig? Him or who? Stubbs or Mesoraco? I mean, you know, you're going to run out of candidates there right. pretty soon. So, uh, I, I think in the lineup the way it is from this roster, he's your number four guy. What's the biggest question that faces this team, Chris? Can they stay healthy? And... Can they um, win the, the tight games? They played a lot of games last year, decided by two or fewer runs. The one-run games, Bill, I always think that, you know, and I agree with a lot of the experts to say it's almost uh, a coin flip in a one-run game. But the two-run games and even the three-run games, those are the ones you've got to win. They were deplorable in that, in that uh, category last year. I think that's more than just luck. 
I think that's being able to hold on to those leads. And uh, I think that that's the biggest thing for them is to just to win the, 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 the close games and also win the games that you should be, you know, when you match up right. Yeah, beat the teams you should be beating. Yeah. 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 Uh, Chris, Dusty's in the final year of his contract. Does a manager manage differently when he's in the end of his contract versus when he's in the middle? Well, you know, sometimes the personality is different. <laughs> you know, you're always tighter over yeah. the, in the last year. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I, I can't say he manages any differently. I mean, Dusty uh, is going to manage like Dusty. Uh, he leaves himself out there sometimes for some second guessing. Uh, but remember that the four things that a manager has to do. One is to get along with the front office. One is to get along with the press. One is to motivate and get along with the players. And one is to run the game. And, uh, you know, Dusty does his first three as good or as better than anybody else around. And when, you know, he feels that he goes with a certain hunch uh, on the way he runs his game or puts his, his bullpenners in there or something like that or even writes out his lineup, you know, people begin to second-guess him. So I don't think he's going to manage any differently, but he manages to win. I mean, that's what every manager does. I mean, I'm not sure how you manage differently except to win. Uh, I don't think he's all of a sudden going to read a book over the window and say, oh, man, my managerial strategy is wrong for 15 <laughs> years. So I think he's he managing to win ballgames. Chris, I know you don't like to talk about money and contracts, but with what's going on, I think we've got to deal with it a little bit. Give, give us your thoughts on Joey's contract and what it means to the other players and the team's ability to compete in the long run and the message it sends to fans. Well, first, it's the market. So, I mean, it doesn't matter how many digits you put in front of the decimal point. It's, it is what it is. And uh, I, I think that the, the market is going to dictate that these contracts that you're going to see now uh, special players, and Joey Votto is certainly a special player. He, if it were up to me, and I was going to give a long-term contract, a, you know, a 10-year deal to somebody, uh, Joey Votto would be on that short list of guys I would give to. I mean, one thing about the money the way it is now, Bill, you have to be really careful who you give a lot of money and long-term to. You want to make sure that that player wants to be the best player in the league, not just a good player where he's just going to kind of cruise control his way throughout the, the term of that deal. You want him to, to, to be hungry every day, and Votto's like that. I don't think I've ever been around a player other than Pete Rose that was driven as much as Joey Votto. I mean, he really is. This guy is all business. Uh, and uh, I think that that is a, is a great example to the players. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's a leader, but he leads by example. He's very quiet. Um, and I, I think when other players look at that and they say, man, this is what this guy did to get there. Now, they may not have his talent, but they see his work habits, and, and he's the first one out here, and he's the guy watching the most video, and he's the guy hitting off the, off the tee every day, and he's got his routine, and he's just not laying around swinging, you know, swinging from his, his, his butt trying to hit home runs. Uh, I think the guy... Feels the responsibility of a big contract, and that's good for everybody else around him. Uh, so I, I, I happen to like that deal. Uh, I know that maybe towards the end of that deal, I mean, he can't help himself if he gets hurt. We all can. Right. But at the end of that deal, maybe he's not a $25 million player. But in the middle of that deal, he may be a 30 to $35 million player. You don't know where the contracts are going to go. With the way the, tr the local TV deals are coming up, 
and being re-upped, like the one that is just being in, in, in San Diego that has uh, given the Padres, I think, a 20-year deal over a billion dollars. Well, they, that's a $50 million local TV deal. Uh, I mean, that's a small market there. They're surrounded by the desert, Mexico, and, and the Pacific Ocean, and the Dodgers. So, you know, down the road, the Reds are already, I think, spending some of their money that they anticipate getting from the national television contracts and from the local contract. And I think that, you know, it's probably you're buying now, and what you're buying now is cheaper than what you're going to be buying five years from now. Did the deal did, did, did the deal surprise you that the Reds were able to get a deal done with Joey? It surprised me in a way, but I, if you look at it like this, the deal that they gave to Joey previous, the one he just signed, the one that took him to his last year before free agency, um, was a deal that really didn't get a lot of concessions from Joey Votto. It was a deal that gave him uh, security. Mm -hmm. It was a deal that gave him peace of mind. It was a deal that showed the fans that, hey, we like this guy, and we're going we're gonna to pay him, and we want him happy, and we want him productive. But then they got thinking, hey, you know what? We want this guy really more than that because he's a once-in-a-generation kind of player. You know, we could have somebody else coming up through the minor leagues, but is he ever going to be Joey Votto? I mean, how long do we have to wait to get a Joey Votto? You know, uh, I mean, if you want to put him in the same context as a player like Barry Larkin or Eric Davis, you're talking about two decades here. So if you've got him right now, maybe what happened is that his agent went to the Reds and said, if you want Joey Votto, we want a contract right now. And what we want is a deal that's going to be similar to what Prince Fielder got in terms of length. Um, so I think that that's what they worked on. And if you're the Reds, you're thinking, geez, well, we've got a few questions for the next two years about whether we're going to trade him, let him walk, or try to sign him. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it would... I'm sure that neither the ownership nor the general manager here wanted that kind of atmosphere where, where writers were constantly asking him from out of town or in town writers, hey, Joey, are you going to sign with the Reds? You're going to be a free agent. Where would you like to play? Do you really want to go back to Canada? I mean, he doesn't want to answer those questions. The Reds didn't want to answer those questions. So I think it all made sense. It surprised me about the timing of it, but now that I look back on it, it made a lot of sense to do it this time. And the big news today was the Brandon Phillips deal. And it, it looks, it's hard to, so far, I haven't really seen whether it's a five or a six year deal. They talked about $72.5 million, but it sounded like they were writing it for this year, too, so it's really only a five year deal. Do, do you think he's going to be a, a good, productive player in, in, in five or six years? Well, yeah, I, I do. I think he's another one of these guys who wants to be the best around. I just don't think him. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he'll ever put it in cruise control. Uh, I think that he wants to be the best. He, Brandon wants it to be about Brandon. I mean, and winning. But, I mean, he likes to be in the man. And uh, he likes making those flashy plays. And he knows the only way he's going to continue to do that is to work hard, prepare, and get out there and get after it. And I like Brandon Phillips a lot. You know what? He's a tough-to-replace guy. I mean, I, it, it, I know that there are a lot of saber nutritions that have tried to figure out a way to really gauge defense. Uh, they haven't figured it out yet, at least not as far as I'm concerned. I agree. But if I watch him play and I start charting the number of balls that he gets to that the average second baseman or his replacement, let's even make it more more uh, personal, uh, his replacement, who would be Wilson Valdez or Chris Valleca or, you know, uh, one of these kids coming up. Um, 
How many more balls does he get to? Well, he gets to a lot more. And and that, that of course, starts the snowball going. Well, that, that, that guy doesn't get to that ball. That's the base hit. Maybe it scores a run. Maybe it doesn't. But it makes the pitcher throw more pitches. And now you got to go to the bullpen earlier and so on. So it's a big snowball that gets going when you don't have a defensive player inside like that. Uh, and when you've got him, you keep him. Believe me, there's somebody who will pay a lot of money for Brandon Phillips uh, if they didn't sign him. And uh, I think that uh, uh, he did a good job by staying here. I think the Reds did too. Chris, let's talk about, about broadcasting a little bit uh, before we wrap up here. You, you're the re- only Reds bo- broadcaster that, that at least brings out the, the, what we call the sabermetric numbers. How do you work with your stats guys to work these into the broadcasts? Well, our stat guy is terrific. Joel Luckham um, it, it is terrific. I've come a long way on that. You know, I, I've always liked statistics. I mean, I, I can't say that I was ahead of money ball, but I always, always as a pitcher, I always wanted to know who the guys were on base all the time. And those are the guys I wanted to keep. I wanted to know who scored runs, and those are the guys I wanted off the base pass. So I didn't know that there were formulas for it back then. But, you know, and I don't get too deep into it. I mean, I looked at a few different things that, that uh, I'm interested in. There's some new websites that use the FX information that mm-hmm. is out there in Major League Baseball that I find fascinating about pitch locations and speeds and spin of breaking balls and how much they drop and so on. So you now can compare pitchers, for instance, um, with quantitative data that that shows you what their stuff actually is. It doesn't show you their durability. It doesn't show you their deceptiveness. It doesn't show you their gamesmanship when they're on the mound in a tight situation. But it does give you an idea, if you haven't seen a pitch before, what's going on. And it does give me an edge when I look at those things and I had not seen a pitch pitch. Um, and uh, I want to know what he's all about. Uh, but then again, you know, the majority of fan bill, uh, they're not like you. Uh, yeah, I, you're, Thank you're God. Caught up a lot of, <laughs> you're caught up in that stuff. And most people just want to watch a baseball game and be entertained. So I've got to walk the fine line of, of trying to let people who are real hardcore baseball fans and who really believe in, in, in the Sabre numbers versus those that are sitting, you know, kicking back, having a couple beers, and want to hear stories. So there's got to be a common ground. I'm, I'm trying to find that. It's not always an easy thing to do. Yeah, we've had Joel on the podcast. He is a great guy. Um, does he ever come to you with, with, with numbers and you go, nah, that won't work on television? <laughs> All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, we, we tried to do one. We were doing this uh, spring training show down there, and I wanted to show um, the defensive prowess of the Reds outfield. And what he said, maybe, what we talked about a couple of times, well, we couldn't even fit it into a five-minute segment. <laughs> because the first five minutes, I have to explain what these, you know, what these things mean. Uh, so, it, it, it uh, yeah. Uh, but, again, there's a lot of guys around. I mean, there are actually some two guys, right, in a circle baseball, there's stats guys uh, that, that, that relate different stuff. And nowadays, you can look it up. If you have a theory... I think, you know, if I think, man, oh, man, this guy really seems to lose it in the sixth inning, that's easy to look up. This guy seems to get hit every time he throws a 2-1 fastball or a 2-1 count. Yeah, and he look it up and say, sure enough, that's the case. Well, what is he doing? He's throwing fastballs instead of breaking balls. The only way you used to, used to be able to get that information is to have a scout give it to you because they're back there throwing pitches. But now it's readily available on the net. So uh, if, you, if you don't want to take the time, you can find all that stuff out. Chris, you, you've been doing this announcing gig for a while now. 
I got I, years. I got two questions for you. What did Joe Nuxall mean to you? Oh God, you know, he, he, what he meant to me was stability, um, putting things in perspective. Uh, he taught me not to take this gig that I had too seriously. Uh, that the game is always the most important thing, and not the announcer. Um, I think that's it. And I also think that you know, treat people fairly. Uh, try to try to take a breath before you say something bad, because he never said anything bad about anybody. Uh, he felt like it sometimes, and off off the record, you know, there were certain people that rubbed him the wrong way. But um, he would be a guy that would would uh, uh, just meant a lot to and showing me what it's like to be a kind man behind the mic, and I'd like to be the same way. If you could call a game with anybody, who would you call it with, Chris? Well, Vince Scully. Except he works by himself, so I wouldn't have to do anything. <laughs> you know, I, I, I tell you, what I really would like to do, Bill, and I, I can't break it down to any one person, but uh, I would say I would like to call with another player and not necessarily a play-by-play guy. I mean, I love the, the partners that I have had. George Grant has taught me so much about uh, how to be an announcer, uh, how to ask questions, uh, how to be prepared, uh, how to treat players. I mean, he taught me one very valuable lesson, which was get to know players when they're young. Because they may be superstars, and 15 years from now, they may be cantankerous superstars. You don't want to talk to anybody, but you, because you were nice to them for 15 years. So that's the one thing that he's taught me that has really meant a lot. I think that, uh, you know, I think Tom Bannerman's got great timing and does a good job. I think that Jim Kelch has come a long way as a, as a TV broadcaster. Uh, I like working with Marty. I'm going to get a chance to work with Marty a few times this year on radio, so I'm scheduled to do some radio. And, uh, but I think I'd, work to, I'd like to work with another player. And guys that come to mind would be like a guy like Jim Cox, uh, where I could do some play-by-play or he could do some play-by-play. There would just be a couple of ball players talking the game. Uh, I'd like to do a game with Greg Maddox. Uh, now that I think about it, somebody like that I think would be uh, enlightening for me. I think it would be fun for the fans uh, because I think ultimately uh, you, you could take it every day, but every once in a while, not a bad idea to just get a couple of ball players out there. I like that idea. Last question, Chris. If you had to make a prediction, will the Reds be playing in the postseason this year? Oh boy. You know what? I hate the, I hate the prediction business because every time I seem to predict anything, I end up on the wrong side of it. <laughs> uh, they've, got, they've got a chance. And, and I'm not going to bite at that. At that. But, That's fine. Uh, they've got a good chance. A lot of things have to happen. A lot of things could have to happen. Uh, one is they have to not panic. Uh, and, um, and they have to pitch. And, and I, I really, I'll tell you, one of the reasons I, I didn't even talk about it, but and you know, sometimes it's overlooked and overrated, but I don't think it is here. Dusty Baker's got a really good coaching staff. These guys nowadays, they work their butts off. I don't think I want to be a big league coach. They're here all the time, and they're working all the time. And that goes especially for the fishing coach. He's got 12 guys to take care of. Uh, and Brian Price is, is one of the best communicators I've been around. doesn't try to force things on people. He knows fishing. Every time I get into a fishing conversation with him, it seems that we're, you know, uh, that, that he just impresses me as a guy that he really knows what he's talking about and he's done the homework to do that. And I think that's going to play a part in the Reds pitching this year, uh, pitching well. But I think if they pitch well, they're going to win. 
Well, that's all we've got. And Chris, thank you as always very much for your time today. And good luck. And hopefully we can catch you, catch you a little later in the season. All right, Bill. Anytime, anytime you come to a ball game, let me know. Have you ever visited me in the booth? All right. We'd love that. Thanks very much. Okay, Have a good night. Bye.